0: Hello ninjas and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja digital marketing podcast. My name's Tim. I'm the host and I'm also head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency in the UK. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales online. And in a slightly different vein this week, I'm very proud to introduce Peter Shankman. Now, Peter's a extremely uh, varied individual he's done a huge number of things in his life one of the things that he is most well known for is for starting the journalist inquiry service help a reporter out and if you're a long time listener of the podcast you'll know that services like help a reporter out are a great way of getting visibility for your business through journalist publications so newspapers magazines peter started this after running a pr business So I got him into the show primarily to talk about that, but he's also got some really interesting insights around customer service. And uh, he's also a very proud owner of an ADHD brain as well. So he's written a book called Faster Than Normal, which is all about how we can all use the positive elements of ADHD and how we can kind of cultivate those. So we talk a bit about how Peter deals with his own ADHD and the positives of it and how he kind of mitigates and protects himself from the downsides. And there's some really interesting stuff things about creating habits and things about I guess putting ourselves in situations where we are most likely to win which I think is really interesting for anybody no matter what you're doing in life so uh, I really hope you enjoy this episode slightly different to normal but Peter's is an absolute riot and he gave me some uh, some very encouraging baby advice as well as we're expecting our first anytime now so hope you enjoy the show and don't forget to head over to the Exposure Ninja website for show notes that's ExposureNinja.com forward slash podcast anyway we Without further ado, enjoy the show with Peter Shankman. Peter, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, where to start? You've had um, an extremely varied career so far, and I think uh, lots of different areas we'd, we'd like to dig in. Perhaps we could start with... Um, help a reporter out? Because I think this is where you first broke through into people's consciousness. Is that right? It,
1: well, yeah, I mean, I had I had done other stuff prior, but Harrow was a, sort of the big one for me. I mean, prior to that, I run a PR firm, which is really how I started getting to connect with journalists all around the world.
0: And that led to Harrow. But yeah, Harrow was sort of the game changer for me. And you started Harrow in 2008, sold it two years later, is that right? After it had grown very quickly and made quite a dent in the industry, I think it's safe to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely changed how um, publicists and, and sources found, the, found each other, or how sources and journalists, I should say, found each other. Um, it was pretty amazing. I had a lot of fun, and, you know, I like to think I, I helped a lot of people.
0: And I suppose it spawned this whole journalist outreach Thing inquiry service thing, which today you know, obviously, Harry's still around and Gorkana response source companies like that. When you created this, or your from your background in in PR, what was the need that you were addressing and, and why do you think Harry took off so quickly?
1: Well, I talk to everyone, I have massive ADHD, and so you know, when I'm on an airplane, unless, I, unless you fake your own death, if you're sitting next to me, I'm gonna know everything about you. And so, <laughs> for, for me, you know, reporters would, would, would know that, and they'd, Peter, you talk to everyone, I'm doing a story on xyz who do you know who does whatever and it just sort of uh it just became uh, a matter of time i didn't have you know more and more reporters are calling me every day saying hey can you help me find this guy this guy and i just didn't have um uh uh, uh, uh enough time and i'm like there's got to be a better way to do this and so i created help reporter and um it, it was initially just a basic email list and it sort of blew up from there pretty amazing
0: was there anything that you designed into the service to facilitate that type of viral adoption, or was it just literally so simple and it worked? So it grew. What happens when you get in the media? The first thing, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to share it with your friends, right? So you share it with your friends.
1: Oh, well, did, oh, wow, you're in the New York Times. How'd you do that? Oh, I well, don't you know. <laughs> have this, uh, this thing called you Help a Reporter. Holy shit. Well, wow, I should try that. This is amazing. There you go.
0: <laughs> I love it. We've got a lot of listeners who absolutely love relationships with journalists because it gets their business whether it's for SEO purposes or just general awareness. I'm curious, do you have any opinions on where you think the journalist brand relationship is going next? A lot of these publications are, you know, the journalists are scared of companies like Facebook updates, dwindling ad revenues. What do you see coming around the corner for these guys?
1: Yeah, we're seeing more and more, um, you know, journalists have to do 10 times more with five times less. So I think what we're seeing a lot of is the journalists, uh, their abilities to do whatever it is they do are really being... uh, Impacted, and so I'm finding that the more journalists I work with on any capacity, the more I stay in touch with them, the more they can use really good quality sources. So it's it's because they you know they might be working on 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 a political story one day and then tech the next, right? So it really comes down to understanding what the journalists are doing and then figuring out how you can help them. the The job of anyone looking to get press is not to get press. The job is to make the reporter's job easier. The second you do that, everyone else uh, you know your your job is simple. The second you make it a journalist's job easier, you start getting media.
0: It feels like that's something that's really overcomplicated a lot of the time. It's almost like the journalist is put on this big pedestal. They're completely untouchable for a lot of business owners, whereas actually how you've demonstrated with Harrow and what you've just said is as soon as you give them what they need, and as soon as you, when we found when we do outreach, if we just give them as much content as we possibly can, we give them the source, we give them you know the byline that they can use. The more we give them, the more likely they are to use it. Right? It's it's literally that simple.
1: It's not rocket science. You know, you really just you know, just be a little bit better, just be a little bit better than what what's expected. And let's face it,
0: majority of people can are not good at this. <laughs> now you wrote a book. Um, just Keeping on the PR theme, you wrote a book about outrageous publicity stunts. I can't have you on the show without asking, what's your favorite publicity stunt of all time?
1: Oh, my God. I mean, overall, you know, I'm a fan of old school. I still love uh, something as simple as War of the Worlds. But, you know, I think about uh, what was it, 10, uh, maybe 15 years ago now, when the Mir space station crashed back into Earth, Taco Bell put a one mile uh, wide target in the Indian Ocean, floated it in the Indian Ocean. said, if any part of Mir hits this, everyone in the world gets a free taco. It was brilliant. <laughs> so much press.
0: <laughs> that's so good do you think publicity stunts are the sort of thing that could work for our audience of small and medium-sized businesses or is it just too big and that's for the corporates
1: no 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 a publicity stunt can work for anyone the key is to understand that a stunt for the sake of a stunt is pointless you want to do a a stunt needs to be done because there's value in it for the company doing it obviously and the people watching it. so you know a great example is there was a um it was a movie that came out. I think when they when they when they rebooted the movie Carrie, a PR firm took over a um, coffee house in New York and they they hired actors to act as you know people getting coffee or whatever. And then they hired a woman, uh, a female actor, and they hooked her up to a bunch of um, pulleys and rigs so that or they they hired they hired an actor to, and then they hired this woman to to uh, have telekinesis. Right, and so the, the, the gag was that, and you can find it on, on, on YouTube, it's just a uh, Google uh, uh, carry uh, coffee shop. And what it was is the, uh, a guy would walk by the woman and spill, his, spill, her, spill her coffee, bump into her and she'd spill her coffee all over her laptop. And she'd get really pissed off and go, "You dude, come on, I'm sorry, you know? And she'd go, get away from me. And she'd push her hands out and the guy would fly back. <laughs> and, and fly up the wall and books would fly off the it, And it was, it was brilliant because then what they did was they brought in regular customers. Right. And they had these regular cups in the middle of ordering a coffee. All of a sudden, the woman next to you flies up against the wall. It was brilliant. Right. And it made people laugh and it, and it went very quickly, got spread all around. You know, too many people focus on making things viral. And I think that's a, a problem. Don't focus on making things viral, focus on making something good.
0: Mm.
1: Right. Making something good is going to go
0: viral by default. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. I guess something like that as well, where you can bring people in, video the whole thing, stick it up on YouTube. That's going to get attention anyway, isn't it? You can't do that and it just go completely unnoticed.
1: Exactly. So create something great that people
0: enjoy and they want to see. Then you have something. I love that. On that thread of creating something great, I'm doing so well with the segues. You, you focus lately uh, a lot on customer service and it's one of the topics that you're, you're really passionate about. And the importance of customer service. Now, obviously, companies like Zappos have made customer service their kind of mantra. Um, How can challenger companies, startups, listeners to the show, how can they make customer service something that they're actually known for? I think one of the key things you can do is, you know, simply respond. So many people who complain on Twitter, who complain online,
1: they don't necessarily need to have their problem fixed. What they need is simply to be heard. Right. So I said like 60% or 65% of people who um, complain online don't necessarily need a resolution. They just want to know that they're hurt. Mm. You know, when I'm, sitting on a, when I'm sitting on an airplane and there's a uh, storm and we're not moving, we're stuck on the runway, I pretty much know we're stuck on the runway because I'm guessing because it's a storm. Right. I, you know, I, I'm pretty I'm smart enough to realize that's probably why. But until you tell me, for all I know, a wing could have fallen off. Mm. Just tell me what's up. I know that's not your fault. There's a rainstorm. Just tell me, hey, guys, look, there's a storm. We're going to be here for at least an hour. Yeah, it sucks, but then at least I'm not blaming you. Yeah. The problem becomes when companies don't respond or don't get ahead of the situation.
0: And I guess that response and the relationship that's built up there is actually a chance to, to, to build something which is, which is closer. You, know, you, you, can, you can turn that inquiry around to your advantage, can't you? If you build a relationship with that person, you show that you're responsive and, and you show that you have their best interests in mind. No question about it. And that's it again. It's not, uh, it's not rocket science. It's very easy. I think one of the challenges that a lot of listeners to the show have is. Social media in particular has made customer service such a, such a broad thing, right? We can get a tweet, we can get someone message us on Facebook. Now WhatsApp for business, great. Another channel that customers can contact us on. You've got email, you've got phone, and it feels like this big cloud where customers are coming in from all sorts of different directions. H- how do we kind of cope with that? What are some ways that we can think about this, which is just going to reduce the overwhelm? I think one of the best uh, pieces of advice, you know,
1: understand where your
0: audience is right? The,
1: the biggest thing you can do is to understand where you are and where your audience is. You know, so many people jump online, they start doing, oh, we should have a Facebook page and Twitter handle. We should do this and that. that. Well, where's your audience? Mm -hmm. If you don't know where your audience is first, the chances of you finding them and doing good stuff for them is very, very limited. Focus on where your audience is first. And then figure out ways to reach them. And the best way to do that is simply to ask them, Mm. where do you hang out? Where do you go online? What do you do? Again, it's not rocket science. I'll give you a perfect example. So I am a junkie, hands down, a 100% addict for something called Peloton. And Peloton is, in the US, it is a bicycle that is connected to the internet and allows you to take spin classes live 24 hours a day, blah, 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 from my home. I am Junkie, it is. It is. I'm that guy who, when you're on the airplane and the plane's going down, and the flight attendant screams, "Oh my god, is anyone a pilot?" I go, "Well, I, I'm. A, I own a Peloton. <laughs> I'm. I'm that bad." So here's what. Here's why Peloton is so great. They, you know, at the end of the day, it's a spin bike, but they understand that there is an audience, right? The people who uh, who use that bike have really created a community. They have created their own community on Facebook. They obviously. Peloton has its own, um, you know, Facebook page, right? But everyone in the Peloton group has created their own sort of spinoff communities. There's the there's the four a.m. Peloton riders. I'm part of that group because I'm up super early, right? There's the Peloton after dark riders. There's the I'm a, I'm a member of the Jewish Peloton. Are you kidding me? There's like, <laughs> but but you know, Peloton understands that and they cater to these people, right? And they they like these people and they they treat them well. And they embrace the fact that they love their brand, and so the you know because of that they are growing faster than any other exercise platform currently out there. They understand their audience, they take care of their audience, and they let their audience feel like they are a part of this of this community of this
0: of this movement, as it were. I guess giving them the freedom to set up those groups themselves and manage them, the groups themselves, as you say. Keeps them invested in it, right? They feel like it's them building this thing.
1: Not, no question about it. I mean, I remember back in, God, what was it? It had to be mid-90s, fan sites for The Simpsons started popping up, right? And Fox, uh, 20th Century Fox, started legal, going, legal action to shut them down. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And that, they, literally, they nearly killed The
0: Simpsons franchise from doing that. That's madness, isn't it? You mentioned that Peloton takes care of these guys. What are some of the ways that it, it recognizes or encourages this behavior in this? They always invite people to come out to the studio. They
1: always invite people to come take a live class. They bring people out, they let them join. You know, all the, all the instructors are encouraged to stick around after the class and take pictures with uh, any of the people who want them, you know, who, who want that. Uh, selfies, all that kind of stuff. They, they shout out their names in the classes themselves. You know. It's those kind of things. And it really is pretty amazing how
0: many people get addicted to this. That's really interesting because that kind of personal contact for something which could be quite, making something like that face-to-face when it's almost like the product has been designed to remove that face-to-face. It's a
1: damn exercise bike.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's a freaking exercise bike.
1: Isn't that ridiculous? (laughs) It's an exercise bike and people are just junkies for
0: it. I guess the clue is in the name, Peloton, right? It's the group of riders. It's not exactly, solo.
1: but it is growing like wildfire. My the current number one blog post on my site, by far, by a factor of like three, is the 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 piece I wrote about how I love my Pel- like my addiction with it, like eleven days after I got
0: it. Wow, it's just insane. That's awesome. Uh, how do you see that approach, which is so clearly to invest in your customers and also almost to make influences out of your customers versus something like Amazon where they're trying to remove as much of the need for contact as possible. The easiest answer to that is that
1: very few companies are Amazon. (laughs) All right. Very few companies have that reach, have that ability. Very few companies are so ingrained into a customer's home Mm. and into a customer's life. You know, I can go to six different spin classes. I could go to 15 different spin classes in Manhattan. I could buy three different home bikes if I want. Why do I go back to Peloton? Because they, they, they get me, I feel connected to them. But, you know, here's the thing. No one, Peloton, what Peloton's doing is they're, they're letting their customers speak for them, which is so ridiculously powerful. And here's why. No one believes how great you are if you're the one that has to tell them. And the best example I can give you, if I walked into a bar, and I saw a woman there. I'd never seen her before. And I walked up to her and I said, you don't know me, but I'm awesome. You know, so just fin- finish your drink and come home with me. I'm, I'm that good. You know, she's going to throw her drink in my face and go back to talking to her friends. I've, I've done research. That's exactly what I did. You've to that stuff. Exactly. Yes, definitely. But on the flip side, on the flip side, if, if I'm sitting there just playing, you know, crosswords with friends, or whatever on my, on my phone and the woman's friend says, Oh my God, that's Peter Shankman. You know, i have I've heard him speak. You know, he's a single dad. You're a single mom. You guys both love cats. You know, I've met him. I'm going to bring him over and join us. You would love him. (laughs) At the very least, I'm getting a warm intro to this woman. Yeah. How much stronger is that?
0: I guess the other difference between something like Amazon and Peloton is that Amazon is really just uh, commoditizing, but it's offering a better solution. for Exactly. Whereas Peloton is actually, it's a real passion thing. If I don't
1: buy cat food... If I don't get my cat food, I'm going to have a serious problem. I have a cat who's really more pissed off than he usually is. So I go to the the easiest way to do that. Peloton, if I don't get on my my bike, I'm going to get fatter. Or fat, as it were. I used to be fat. I'm going to get fat again. And I don't want that to happen. So give me a way to do it that excites me and makes it fun. Yeah. There's nothing fun about ordering
0: cat food. No, no, it's very true. It's very true. So I guess for listeners, if you're looking to build a kind of passion business, then that customer service can extend into building this kind of community very much like Peloton.
1: Exactly, no question about it. And you know, there are people out there who love Amazon. And look, I'm I'm an influencer for several different companies, right? But they have to be companies I care about already and like already.
0: Yeah, but no one's no one's gonna write a blog post on how much they love Amazon after eleven days of using it, are they? Actually, ironically enough, I was at a I, I was using
1: Google Shopping Express and I was—I just had a kid about five years ago, and I was buying one box of size five diapers, and instead they sent me five boxes of size one diapers. And in New York, five boxes of size one diapers is about my apartment size. And so <laughs> it was a Saturday morning when they were delivered. I'm like, I'm screwed. How am I going to get rid of these? What am I going to do? I lost something. I sent an email to just the address that the, that, the, that the delivery notification came from. Within five minutes, a human being had emailed me back and said, oh, our fault. We're sending someone over to pick them up. We're sending you in your new diapers. Da, da, da. This is Google. Wow. If Google can do this, you know, what excuse do you have? That's like God coming to me and say, okay, you have all the, you have the power to levitate your cat. Go, you know, this is Google. If Google can handle
0: this, you know, why can't other businesses? Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And I'm not being fair on Amazon. I mean, their returns policy and all of that, they've super automated it. They're really generous with it. So, you know, they they are offering customer service, aren't they? There's just no personality in there, I guess.
1: At the end of the day, though, if you do need a personality, you'll get it. You know, you can talk to someone there if you have to.
0: Yeah. I want to change gear and ask you about Faster Than Normal, the book that you wrote about ADHD. I love how you've embraced ADHD and kind of helped the people who, I don't know, you normally hear someone say people who suffer from ADHD, but I don't think suffer is the word, is it? You kind of help them celebrate the advantages that it gives them. What do you see those advantages being?
1: I have a brain that works differently than others. Mine is a much faster brain. I essentially have a um, a Ferrari brain. But my breaks are from a 1927 Plymouth. So, <laughs> what I have to do is, I have to make, I have to take and do certain things every day. I call them my undeniable life rules. And by doing, by following these life rules, they allow me to live uh, to the best of my ability and use that faster brain for all its speed. So, I mentioned earlier that I'm on the 4 a.m. Peloton group. Well, the reason for that is, I have, I'm a single dad. If I don't work out in the morning, then I have a very bad day. That is pretty much. A given, I have to work out. I have to get the dopamine, the serotonin, and the adrenaline to re- recharge my brain. Mm. ADHD means that you have less. Your body produces less dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline. So for me, I have to get those numbers up there. That's the line from um, Wolf of Wall Street. Those are rookie numbers, kid. Pump those numbers up, right? So I have to get my dopamine up on a regular basis. How do I do that? Well, I could take medication. I choose exercise. So I am on my bike at 4 in the morning, 3.45 in the morning, biking for a couple of hours every morning, do 30 or 40 miles. And I get off the bike and my dopamine's flowing. It's, it's, it's full, my adrenaline, my serotonin. That makes me better, okay? So I'm aware that has to happen. Same thing, I, I, I eliminate choice wherever possible. I have two sides to my closet. One side says, it's literally labeled. One side says um, uh, speaking and TV and it's button-down shirts, jackets, and jeans. And the other side says office or travel and it's t-shirts and jeans. That's it. Okay, if I had my sweaters and my vests, I'd I'd, get, I'd never I'd look in the closet. Oh my God, that, I remember that vest. Laura gave me that vest. I wonder how she's doing. I should look her up on Facebook. It's three hours <laughs> later. I'm naked in the living room. I haven't left the house. So <laughs> you know you have to understand how your life works and you have to make sure that you can work it to the best of your ability. And the cool thing about my ADHD is that it actually it gives me I'd say anywhere from three to four hours of better productivity every single day. So I, you know, I, I have a friend who is, there's a TV show called this is us. I haven't seen it, but apparently last night there was a huge episode after the super bowl. And I, I get a te- I hear a text from her. I, I saw it this morning when I woke up and she texted me at midnight. Oh my God, you gotta watch the show. I know what I was telling you about. So I made seven texts in a row and it was one in the morning by the time she sent her last text, she'd finished watching the show. And, um, about 7 a.m. or 9 a.m., she, I was talking to her. She was texting me. She was in the office. and She goes, uh, I'm like, oh, did you hit the gym today? She no, I'm just, I can't figure out why I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, may, may I, you know, and I'm just like, it's not worth the argument. It's going to turn into a fight. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> this isn't rocket science. You know, how do I make sure I'm up at 4 a.m. to be on the gym? I go to bed at 8 p.m. I put my daughter down at 8 o'clock. I'm asleep at 8.15. You know, priorities, man. You choose the priorities that matter to you. And that's just, that's life. That's not ADHD. That's just life, right? So I've chosen that there are certain things I like to do because they, they,
0: I do better if I do them. That's all. So it feels like there's two things you've said there. Firstly, you get the advantage of the quicker brain. And then the second thing is kind of limiting the, or knowing yourself well enough that you can limit any potential downsides of the fast brain.
1: Well, that's the other thing, right? I have, you know, I, I have, most people have moderation ability. I don't. I have two speeds and only two speeds. My two speeds are namaste and I'll cut a bitch. And, and <laughs> th- th- there is no middle ground there, right? And so I know that if I don't, you know, I have to make certain decisions that prevent me from going down a path. I quit drinking because everyone's like, oh, just go to the bar and have one drink. Oh, well, shit, it's that simple? You know, it's, <laughs> screw me, right? How did I not realize that? It's not about that. I, I, I drink alcohol the same way I drink water, which is just really fast because it's in front of me. I'm not trying to get drunk, but if I'm at an event with a free bar, an open bar, yeah, I'm going to have several drinks, and that's, and am I going to get drunk and do some stupid shit? No, I'm not, but the next morning I'm going to wake up, and I'm not going to wake up as early, and I'm not going to go to the gym, and that just starts a cycle that I don't want. Right? You ever ever order, you get home, you don't feel like cooking, so you order a pizza, you have a couple of slices, you put the rest in the fridge, it's called leftover pizza. You ever do that? Mm -hmm. I've never had leftover pizza in my life, man. <laughs> I know pizza in my world is not a real thing. I order a pizza that comes I eat the pizza, right? And so yeah. I, I'm aware if I don't want to turn into a, a guy who's fifty pounds heavier, which I was once, I don't order pizza. I deleted the seamless app from my phone. Seamless is this app in, 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 in the New York in the tri state area that lets you order food anywhere in the click of a button and I've stopped doing that because uh, it's just too easy.
0: So it feels like you have chosen a life of Extremes in a sense that there is no path that could lead you astray. For example, you delete the app, you never drink. So it's like you choose the, the route that has extremes. I think there's I'm also a multiple licensed skydiver with over 400 jumps. So you're, you're starting
1: to see a pattern here. I like yeah. the, the, the War Games theory. Remember the movie War Games? I don't know. Okay, it came out with Matthew Broderick in the 80s. It was about a computer. It was about uh, He was a hacker. He was a computer hacker who, who broke into NORAD and essentially... Almost started World War III. And the movie ends, it's a great film, the movie ends with uh, the computer learning about nuclear war, and he says, interesting game, the only winning move is not to play. <laughs> I've learned not to play. There are certain things that I would, shit, I'd love to play, man. I'd love to go out on a Thursday night and go get riffed with some friends, and I, but, you know, I, I, as much as I'd love to do it, the consequences for me, I had a, had a trainer once who said something that I always say. He said, um, said Peter, uh, a cheat day isn't supposed to
0: last for two months. <laughs> oh man there's people thinking i'm feeling so guilty right now uh,
1: but you know what here's the thing i'm not out to make me feel guilty i'm not out to tell you you're doing the wrong thing man. i wasn't ready until about three years ago to embrace this lifestyle when i was when i finally decided i woke up one morning i looked in the mirror i was fat i was hung over i felt like crap i was i was jet lagged look like, this is bullshit i'm done i'm just done i looked in the mirror i just said no more and that was the day and th- you know that's really it man you, you 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 come, but the nice thing about it is I've just gotten so much of my life back. You know, I'm not this vegan guy who's running around saying you'd have to do this, and it, I still love pizza, but and I still eat it, but I eat it in in situations where it can't kill me, right? I'll go out if I want a slice of pizza. I'll, go, I'll make a plan to go out with some friends and have pizza. That's all
0: right. Get out. So a lot of this then is is perhaps habit. My wife exercises a lot, like four hours a day, and she's pregnant now. She's eight months and she's still doing it. And people uh, stop her in the gym and say, how, like, how can you do this? And for her, it's such a habit that to not do it is upsetting and distressing. Is this, and, and, and that's a habit that's been cultivated over years and years. Is it the same sort of thing for you? You're looking to make habits which are productive and be conscious of the habits which aren't productive. You just take it to an extreme. I just know how I am. Right, I
1: know what happens if I stop working out for a few days. A few days turns into a few months. You know, I know what happens if I start eating like crap. A few days turns into a few months. I just, I like who I am better. And so, call it habit, whatever you know. It, everyone talks about resolutions. Resolutions fail. Rituals succeed. My ritual starts when when the when the alarm goes off at three forty five a.m.
0: Love that. One of the things that the reviews on Amazon for Faster than Normal say is lots of there's lots of people with ADHD saying, "Wow." You just completely get me. It's amazing how you know I, I'm reading about myself on the page. But there's also a lot of people who don't have ADHD saying, this book really helped me. So how can those of us who don't have ADHD maybe get a little bit more ADHD in the areas that it's really beneficial? Well, again, at some point, you really just want to be able to figure out what's important
1: to you. What do you want? What are your priorities? What do you love? Do? How do you like like for instance? I if there look, I'm not, I'm I'm not, I'm I'm human. There are days I wake up and I just don't want to get out of bed. Huh? I'm tired. Last night was a perfect example. I, I didn't even watch I watched the first half of the Super Bowl, then I went to sleep, and for some reason I woke up at like 12 o'clock in the morning and then started listening to the Philadelphia Police Scanner, which was just like crack. Because <laughs> you know, Philadelphia was burned to the ground. So I was listening to all that for like an hour. Of course, the alarm rang at, you know, 3:45 in the morning. I'm like, oh my god. So what I did was I, I thought I, I they call it playing the I've heard it called playing the tape forward. I thought about how I'd feel if I came home tonight and I hadn't worked out, right? And how would I feel? Would I be happy? Would I be upset? Would I feel like crap? If I felt like crap, how would I make that? How would I make that get better? Well, I would probably have crappy food. So now, not only did I not work out, but I probably doubled my caloric intake for the day. Get your ass out of bed and get on the bike. And you know the the hardest part. Of any workout is the first minute. That's so true. Or even deciding to do the workout. I sleep in my gym clothes. <laughs> I do. I sleep in a t-shirt and jeans. I'm sorry, t-shirt and shorts. And um, socks. I wake up. My feet, my, my my bike shoes are attached to the bike. Or my running shoes next to my bed. Done. Love that.
0: Love that. Peter, this has been... Absolutely fascinating. I know we've jumped around a lot, but I think it's because there are so many interesting things about you, which which people find really interesting. So where can people find out more about you and where can they check out Faster Than Normal? So I am at Peter Shankman on all the socials, um, on all the social networks. Uh, faster Than Normal is
1: fasterthanormal.com. The podcast is on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Faster Than
0: Normal, all the places you would imagine it to be. Yeah, at Peter Shankman everywhere. And my email is shankman.com Fantastic, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. Pleasure was mine.